Welcome to the James Quantall Show, the space where I interview the world's experts and share how you can live your life to the fullest and build the life of your dreams. Today's guests are Karen Hecht, past guest of the show and the scientific affairs manager at Astroreal. Karen holds a PhD in molecular biology from the University of Pittsburgh and an honors Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry from the University of Toronto. Also on the show today is Dr. Michael Lang, who is a board-certified optometric physician, certified nutrition specialist, CEO and chairman of Fortify Vitamins, radio talk show host, an extreme sports enthusiast, and much, much more. During this episode, we discussed how it's common to see 45 and 50-year-olds with the retinas of 85-year-olds, and how spending all day inside on our screens is accelerating this problem. And I'm taught the 20-20-20 rule, which helps your eyes rest and recover. We discussed the importance of looking at the body as a whole instead of individual pieces, and how you can't take your vision or health for granted. Don't wait to have a problem. Be proactive instead of reactive, because prevention is the name of the game. If you make your body healthier, your eyes will be healthier, and vice versa, and this helps you to age gracefully. Finally, we discussed the importance of starting with the basic principles first before layering on supplements, and we learned the importance of doing research on these supplements, where and how they are made, and if they're supported by clinical studies, and is there third-party certifications. There's so much more in today's episode, so please give it a listen, and send me a message with your thoughts, at James Quandall, on Instagram or Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, or follow and share this episode with a friend. So before we were recording, we were talking a little bit about looking beautiful and also taking care of your body and your eyes and living an adventurous life. And I was going to pay the doctor, Dr. Michael Lang, a compliment and tell him how good he looks and how vibrant his skin is. But I wanted to make sure it was recorded so that everyone could hear his response because I want to know how he does it because I just turned 35 and I'm told all the time, wow, you're 35, you look 25, and I want to keep that going the rest of my life, so I need you to tell me how. Well, that's a great question. It's a combination of a multitude of things. Obviously, exercise, proper diet. I actually created a diet called the Lang Survival Diet. The right amount of sleep, which I've been, I haven't had a lot of sleep lately because I've been on vacation, but we all should try to get eight hours of sleep a night. Hydration is so important. Most of us do not get enough fluids. And if we do, we're drinking a couple of cups of coffee in the morning, a couple of glasses of wine or cocktails in the evening. Those are actually diuretics. So you got to drink even more water. So it's a combination of, of positive mindset, exercise, proper diet, hydration, sleep, a little sunshine, believe it or not. Sun isn't as bad for you as you might think. You don't want to get sunburned. And obviously, if you're an albino or you're on medication to make you super sensitive to the sun, you don't want to be out in the sun. But for most of us, we should go out in the sun for 20, 30, 40 minutes a day uh, to get that all perfect almighty vitamin called vitamin D. It is very important. If we're vitamin D deficient, we're more prone to having all sorts of health problems. But I always tell my patients the perfect meal for anti-aging is wild Alaskan salmon sauteed in coconut oil, organic coconut oil, and you throw in a little organic kale, organic spinach, some orange bell peppers, and believe it or not, a free range egg at the very end. And the reason for that is these are carotenoids in these meals that are amazing, not only for your visual system, your eye, 
but your skin. And we're talking about things like lutein that's in the dark green leafy vegetables. Uh, orange bell peppers are high in zeaxanthin. And then astaxanthin is in the wild Alaskan salmon. So most of us are not deficient in lutein and zeaxanthin because we eat greens, we eat bell peppers, we eat foods that have that. Most of us do, well, not everybody. But most of us are deficient in astaxanthin because how often have you had wild Alaskan salmon in the last you know, week? Probably not that often. So that combination gives us those carotenoids that feed the retina, but also are great for the skin, also great at helping promote energy at a cellular level in the mitochondria, something called ATP, stands for adenosine triphosphate. And so if we eat well, all right, and we're getting enough sleep, then we have enough energy to go to the gym, so we get a good workout. And so it, it, it's all tied together. And me being an eye doctor, I'm actually an optometric uh, physician, but I'm also a certified nutritional specialist. I talk to each patient, no matter how old they are, about diet and weight management. Some of my patients get a little irritated because they're overweight. And I, I usually ask them, Kind of delicately, I say, are you gaining weight or losing weight? <laughs> that way, I have a, uh, an open-ended way to discuss a little bit about weight management. One of the number one things you can do for your health is get down to your ideal body weight. Uh, if you're overweight, all diseases are, are increased. Cortisol goes up. Inflammation goes up. And then the final phase is the proper supplements. So most of us are not going to get the vitamins and the minerals and the carotenoids in our diet. So the right supplements, and I've worked for the last 25, 30 years on developing what I like to call the, the correct supplements, the right science, the right ingredients, right for you. And that's my Fortify Vitamin Company. So that's all in a nutshell. Why though, when you're on a vacation, are you getting less sleep? Because anytime I take a vacation, I actually get more sleep than I'm used to. Well, i tell you one reason. Uh, <laughs> you know, I live in Tampa Bay and that's the big city, right? And I grew up in New Orleans. So last night and the night before and the night before, we had a lot of visitors all night long. The deer were fairly exciting. They came up, we fed them celery, we fed them uh, carrots, but the more exciting part was the bears, okay? And so I didn't have a lot of beef for them. They didn't like the vegetables, but I had a couple of big grass-fed steaks and I'm up on a big balcony in a cabin, so they couldn't get to me. But I threw them over the, to the, the bears and they looked like they were really happy about the situation. I know I'm not supposed to be feeding the bears, right? I think that's what makes them actually come to the cabins is when <laughs> the tourists like you come into town and are throwing them. It was bad, but uh, only fed them one night and then it rained really hard the next few nights. So. But also, you know, when I'm on vacation, I still work, all right? I really do. I mean... When the kids go to bed, the wife goes to bed, I'm up on the computer writing articles, creating new websites. Um, you know, I host a syndicated radio show called Ask the Doctor, you know, preparing my talk show, uh, you know, for the next, next, next uh, talk show. So I'm never really resting. I, that's one thing I do not, I practice what I preach except for the sleep aspect. For 20 years, I worked about 18 hours a day and I slept three hours a night. Now I'm not working as much and I'm slowing down and smelling the roses a little bit more. And I do try to get eh, four or five hours of sleep. 
one day I'll get eight hours of sleep and then I'll feel like a million bucks. I have heard that there's a tiny subset of the population that are genetically inclined to only need a tiny amount of sleep, but it's so small. Basically, the rest of us need to get seven and a half plus hours, but there's these t- these tiny, tiny subsection of the population that can survive that way. You must be one of them because there's no other way for you could be doing that for two decades and still be looking healthy and happy and being uh, getting work done. I mean, back, back 25 years ago, I, I was actually staying up on Monday nights purposely because that's the only free time I had. I would get a lot of work done. I wouldn't even sleep on Monday nights. And I did that for about two to three years. And then I finally said, oh, I got, I got to start sleeping a little bit more. But you know, what's really interesting is if you're on a computer a lot during the day and during the night, uh, your brain really thinks you're outside in the sun still. And your pineal gland in your brain does not secrete the melatonin that's necessary for you to get a good night's sleep. And so none of us are really, really reading a book anymore. We're, we're on the Kindle, the iPad, the computer, the iPhone. And that's uh, emitting a significant amount of what we call the high intensity visible spectrum. And that's blue light. And that can cause our circadian rhythm to be really poor and cause us not to sleep well. And I do know if I can force myself not to get on the computer or the phone for a day, which is virtually impossible for me, man, I sleep like a baby. I really do. <laughs> that's why when you we talked about this on the show in the past but you go camping and you're disconnected from all the screens you're barefoot in the grass or in the dirt you're getting sunshine and fresh air all day and but you're sleeping on an air mattress in a tent surrounded by other people and wildlife and somehow you get the best sleep you'll ever have and i just love that and how we can connect with that and supplements and, and biohacks and all these other things are super important. But if you're not doing these basic principles first, they're only going to take you so far. And I think it's so easy to be like, oh, well, it's the newest, latest and greatest supplement or newest gadget I can take. But like you didn't even go outside in the morning and even see the sun. So maybe like start there. Um, I've been hearing a lot of people talk about the importance of getting 10, 15, 20 minutes of sunlight exposure within the first two hours of the sun coming up because of the amount of red light that's coming from the sun at that time and how it can actually help you with a lot of other things later on in the day. Have you read anything about that? Yeah, I've been preaching sunshine for you know 30 years. I, my, my talk show has been on for 30 years and, and uh, four more months. And I've been wow, preaching congrats. You know, getting out in the sun because think about it. And also grounding, walking barefooted down the beach or through the dirt. Because think about when you go to the beach and you're walking barefooted, you feel really good. Your joints don't ache as much, right? You get in the Gulf or in the ocean, the salt water, the minerals, you know, the grounding, the vitamin D, all of that. Is it it a placebo effect or does it legitimately make you feel better? I think there's a lot of science about grounding um, that that is, you know, truly beneficial, uh, but the sunshine is beneficial. We have been told for the last 20 years now, you know, you got to load up on sunscreen, you know, you got to wear a hat, you got to wear long sleeve shirts and because of skin cancer, you're going to get a basal cell carcinoma, you know, squamous cell carcinoma, melanoma, God forbid. But if you're vitamin D deficient, you're more prone to having more devastating forms of cancer. 
and eye diseases and diabetes and all sorts of things. So, you know, vitamin D is so important. So vitamin D supplementation, I think is important, but my vitamin D levels range between 80 and 86. That's called 25 hydroxy test. And you're in Florida? Right. And I get out in the sun at my lunch break, which isn't that long. I usually go out for 15 minutes, but I do have, you know, Friday, Saturday, and Sundays that I'm out in the sun. And I don't supplement with that much vitamin D. I take about a thousand units of vitamin D3. Uh, that's in one of the supplements I developed, but I get it all from the sun. And to this day, I'm 60 years of age. I haven't had any cancers, knock on wood. Now it's interesting. My mom's 94, in amazing condition. She was one of those that wore sunscreen always. My dad never put sunscreen on his body. My mom has had a, a, a few skin cancers. My dad has had no skin cancers. So who knows if the chemicals in the sunscreen may not be a potential problem. We do know that the, the toxicants in the actual formulations in a lot of these do more damage than a lot of the sun potentially could. And another thing that I have theories on and I don't think has been completely proven yet, maybe it has, you would know more than me, but wearing the sunglasses and actually blocking any of that sun coming in through your eyes is that telling your body that you aren't out in the sun? Like, I know there's photo sensors all over your body, but mo the majority of them are in your eye. You're covering up your eyes, then you're going outside and you're wondering why you're burning so easily. Well, if you wear a sunglass, it's a 100% blue blocking sunglass, and you put them on, you cannot see blue color. It looks black, all right, or gray. Well, then what's going to happen if you wear that all the time, it's going to really screw up your circadian rhythm. Um, and they had implants that they had after cataract surgery. They had blue filters in it. And my patients were getting very tired too early in the day. And so that's what happened. You start secreting too much melatonin before it's time. So most sunglasses, uh, they don't have those true 100% blue blockers anymore. Most sunglasses are selective blue filters and they block the UV light. And I think that's very important because the sun will accelerate cataracts and worse than cataracts is macular degeneration. And that's an area that I'm an expert in is nutritional uh, intervention for macular degeneration. I have one of the largest macular degeneration nutritional practices in the country at the Langai Institute in the Villages, Florida. That's the retirement mecca of the world. But I want to digress back to what we're talking about in the sun. You know, when I talked about the wild Alaskan salmon, the nutrient in wild Alaskan salmon called astaxanthin, which is a very powerful carotenoid in the xanthophyll family, it's different from lutein and zeaxanthin, and it's in a different aspect of the eye. It's in the front part of the eye, where lutein and zeaxanthin are in the back part of the eye. But studies have shown that it can actually help protect your skin, not only minimize fine lines and wrinkles, but protect your skin against some of the harmful rays from the sun. And I think Dr. Karen Heck can expand on that even a little bit more than I can. I'd love to hear more about that, Karen, and especially to understand why we aren't seeing astaxanthin in more multivitamins and in more products that people are taking, because I really don't see why it isn't available everywhere. Sure. Well, firstly, let me uh, speak to the skin benefits and aspects of that. So when we ingest astaxanthin, which as Dr. Lang mentioned, is found in wild salmon in our diet, it does go, it has been shown to go to all the skin layers. So it's often been termed a beauty from within ingredient. You know, many carotenoids uh, are known to do this. And there have been studies on a number of carotenoids showing that it helps to 
basically act downstream of sun exposure. So it's not blocking UV or stopping UV-induced free radical formation in any sense of the word, but it's improving the um, sort of basal level of health that you're starting out with in your skin in terms of antioxidant capacity. And astaxanthin has also been shown to have some anti-inflammatory properties. So we know from studies that it modulates at least nine different markers of inflammation, including the master switch of inflammation, NF-kappa-B, and also a mark of systemic inflammation, C-reactive protein. So what we're seeing um, in one study in particular, the minimum erythema dose or the highest UV intensity required to produce sunburn increased in a group that was supplementing with astaxanthin for nine weeks in this particular study. And it helped to support um, the skin barrier function uh, in the irradiated area. So that, that means that less water was evaporating because the structure of the surface of the skin was better maintained uh, even in the irradiated area in that particular study. So, um, you know, sometimes you'll see the word thrown around uh, internal sunblock. I wouldn't say that that is accurate, uh, actually, because again, it is not a UV blocker. Only sunscreen can do that. But I think by uh, you know, improving the, the basal antioxidant status of your skin and your body as a whole, you're perhaps more resilient and it's improving recovery from UV exposure. So um, that would be an interesting aspect of that. And as Dr. Lang also mentioned, we have these carotenoids in the back of the eye, lutein and zeaxanthin, that are also interacting with light. So what we remember about carotenoids is that they're pigments found in nature, the yellows, oranges, reds. And often, where do we think of yellow, orange, and red in nature? In leaves, right? They're sort of accessory light harvesting uh, compounds in plants. And in fact, carotenoids can only be, be found in plants. We don't produce them as human beings. We don't make astaxanthin. We don't make lutein or zeaxanthin. We have to eat them in our diet. And yeah, it's really very, very difficult to get enough astaxanthin from diet alone. Uh, based on the average intake of salmon, the average American eats about two pounds of salmon, and probably most of that is not wild salmon. But if we think conservatively, let's say, let's assume that all two pounds are wild salmon, then we would get about 11 milligrams of astaxanthin for the whole year. Whereas the benefits for eye uh, are really between four to six milligrams a day. So in a year, you would get enough for what you should be having in two days, basically. So supplementation is very important uh, as, as a complement to a healthy lifestyle, for sure. So if that's the case, why aren't we seeing it everywhere? You go to Costco and you look at multivitamins, you're not seeing astaxanthin in the products, are you? You can't find astaxanthin in several products, including eye health supplements and a lot of beauty supplements. But you're right, it's not very well known in the U.S. yet. I would say that is not the case in other places. In Asia, it's very well known. And in fact, uh, I think a few years ago, uh, Shisaido did a survey among uh, Japanese women who were looking for a beauty supplement um, to add to their routine. And more than 70% of them were aware and knew about astaxanthin. It's been around for a long wow. time. I mean, Astoreal was the originator of this bioactive, brought it to market in the human supplement space um, in the, you know, 
I think it was the first launch was uh, mid 90s, but we've been around since late 80s. So the the molecule has been researched and been on the market for a long time, but the marketing and the dissemination of the information around this molecule was really focused in mostly in Europe and primarily in Asia. And so I would say it's only in the last maybe five, six years that we've seen more of a push from from Astrail specifically to try and educate people in North America about what what astaxanthin is. I've talked to some supplement manufacturers that make products that to me for athletic performance, astaxanthin would be a no-brainer addition to the product. And I said, "Why don't we get that in there?" And their response was, "It's the education. Like they already have the barriers they have to jump to explain their product." add another ingredient that not everyone understands and it makes it even more confusing. So that's why I was excited to bring you back on the show, Karen, as the this only the second guest that's been a repeat guest on the James Quandall show. So what? congratulations, you're in rare company. What an honor. It's because I just think it's such an important compound that we're not talking about. I, however, am in the rare group that is probably getting close to enough from wild caught salmon. I, my, um, my physician who has been a guest on this podcast before said I was, my wife and I were the only people in his practice, thousands of patients that ever had optimal omega three, six, nine ratios without doing any supplementation in omegas. And we, we eat a heavy, I call it the smash diet, um, sardines, mackerel, anchovies, um, and salmon and herring. And basically every day we have one of those fish from that family and they're cold water fish and, uh, or bottom feeding fish that are getting a lot of this stuff. Because correct me if I'm wrong, is, is astaxanthin coming from the algae that these fish are eating or the algae that the fish they're eating are eating? Where is it coming from? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's coming up the food chain, right? So most or many crustaceans that do not produce astaxanthin by themselves, um, some animals do. For example, lobsters, they actually use beta carotene as a precursor and they can make, but they have to get that beta carotene from their diet. So um, like algae, krill, mollusks, any other small crustaceans, and then the the small fish that salmon may be eating and in different parts of their life, they'll have a different diet, but it basically accumulates from their diet alone. And in fact, if you look at farmed salmon and you weren't going to give them astaxanthin as a supplement in their feed, they grow up um, not as healthy, not as big, but also a white gray color because they don't obtain astaxanthin in their diet. It's so. truly a gross-looking fish when you see that farm-raised salmon at the grocery store right next to this big, beautiful, wild-caught fish. It's evident when you see them side-by-side. Side. When you don't have them comparing side-by-side, side, you don't notice it as readily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that people are so attracted to the color now that they're starting to add some of that color or astaxanthin or something back in. Is that true? Yeah, well, that's where the research on astaxanthin really began was in aquaculture. And so in the in the late 80s, it was uh, a Kalignal over at Uppsala University in Sweden that was doing some research. Uh, he was approached by uh, people in the aquaculture industry looking for a natural solution 
to providing astaxanthin and farmed salmon diets. And so he started doing some research on, you know, the fry and how they grow and finding out that astaxanthin was an essential nutrient for salmon and then seeing all the benefits because astaxanthin, he also found astaxanthin physically binds to myosin in salmon muscle. And then he thought, wow, well, perhaps this is what's mediating these incredible endurance migration runs that the salmon are doing. How can we translate these benefits to humans? And so that spawned excuse the pun, but you know, it's kind of on purpose, uh, a lot of research into human health. And that's how today we're, you know, uh, upwards of 70 human clinical studies on astral astaxanthin specifically showing benefits for eye, skin, muscle, and really any energy hungry tissue, because as it turns out, astaxanthin um, deposits in mitochondrial membrane where energy is formed and free radicals are formed as a byproduct of that energy production. So we like to call astaxanthin a mitochondrial nutrient for that reason, um, because it does seem to be in the right place at the right time to really address that oxidative chain reaction before it spreads too far. So if you think about rust spreading on a car, you want to have a preventative approach, uh, and astaxanthin seems to be a, a good a good way to do that. So is it working in the brain too? Like, are we seeing benefits cognitively from astaxanthin? Yes, it's it has been shown to cross the blood brain barrier. It also crosses the blood retinal barrier, which is why you find it both in eyes and brain. And there are studies showing that astaxanthin. Um, helps to support against uh, mental and physical fatigue, but also improving reaction times to a battery of, you know, computer tests that are testing uh, short-term memory, mid-term memory, memory uh, spatial reasoning, and things like that. I would say that the cognitive uh, benefits are still an emerging area of research, but there's a lot of interesting things going on there. And especially in the preclinical studies, there's some evidence that astaxanthin may actually potentiate the effects that exercise has on the brain. So when we exercise, we're actually improving or potentiating adult hippocampal neurogenesis, which is the formation of new neurons in the gateway to memory. Um, and it seems that these mice that were exercising and supplementing with astaxanthin saw an additive benefit to this neurogenesis. So lots of exciting potential still in this area. Um, and I think uh, it's worth exploring for sure. Let me, let me chime in here. So I've been using astaxanthin for about 12 years now. It actually uh, improved my ability to focus. It's called accommodation. At 60 years of age, I don't need reading glasses. At 48, I did need reading glasses. And I take 12 milligrams of astaxanthin uh, daily. And that's an, a, a little supplement I had created called Fortify Focus. And so I started taking that uh, literally 12 years ago. And that, that formula has uh, actually evolved about five times since then. But I've got literally thousands of patients at the Lang Eye Institute that are taking uh, this particular supplement. Now, when you think about it, you know, it is lowering oxidative stress in the eye and inflammation. It does cross the blood retinal barrier and it improves choroidal circulation. So if we're actually helping the retina, this is probably why uh, more and more studies need to be done that it's going to help the brain because Retina healthy, eye healthy is usually brain healthy and vice versa. Um, we've seen some amazing results on our patients at one to two a day, and that's six to 12 milligrams of astaxanthin. I did a lecture in New York City prior to the pandemic where we had before and after OCTs. These are cross-sectional images of the retina 
That's called optical coherence tomography. And we showed before and after pictures of patients that have what we call drusen. These are yellow fatty deposits in the retina. This is the precursor of macular degeneration, or it is the dry form of macular degeneration. And we have seen patients on the right nutrients, the right supplements, the right diet, these drusen that have pigmented epithelial detachments on the skin improve, some improve dramatically. So uh, once again, if we're helping the retina, uh, we're also probably helping the brain due to this oxidation, improved circulation, you know, reduction in inflammation. It's kind of the triple whammy of anti-aging in the eye and the brain and thus in the entire body. So astaxanthin, in my opinion, is one of the nutrients that everybody should include in their anti-aging regimen if they're not going to eat wild Alaskan salmon, you know, three or four times um, a week. It's making sense even to me who is eating that much to add this in to my protocol and specifically for mitochondrial benefits. I'm curious if there's been anything in with Alzheimer's with this at all or any of the sort of or because uh, I'm assuming if it's in the, if, if, if you're seeing it with macular degeneration, if it's helping to improve some of those symptoms, couldn't it also be improving some Alzheimer's or things like that? I have my mom who's 94 years old now still plays tennis. When I took her over her care about three, four years ago, um, you know, her short term memory was just history. It wasn't very good. I've got her on a, a triglyceride form omega-3 fish oil. I've got her on our Fortify Focus that has the six milligrams of astaxanthin. And I've got her on, on a curcumin product. And she does take a little coconut oil daily as well. And those are four things just from research I've done and from things I've seen in a clinical uh, setting. Uh, it seems to help patients, uh, you know, maybe help slow down the cognitive effects of aging, um, AKA dementia, Alzheimer's. But I like organic coconut oil, a good form of curcumin, astaxanthin, and omega-3 fish oil, that's the reestified triglyceride form. And so when you're eating wild Alaskan salmon, you're getting that triglyceride form of omega-3 and you're getting the astaxanthin. So now maybe sprinkle a little turmeric or curcumin on it uh, and you're getting the curcumin and saute it at the coconut oil you're getting the median chain triglycerides and the lauric acid that has also been shown to potentially be effective at, at helping slow down cognitive decline. So is there an, uh, like for delivery of the astaxanthin to the right places, is there a timing window or something that it should be paired with some type of fat or can it just be taken? Like what, what makes it the most optimal way to take advantage of it? Yeah, I can address that. But firstly, I just want to caution that really supplements are not intended to prevent or mitigate diseases. Right. It's really about a preventative approach. So before we start to see a decline or before we start to experience any symptoms, that's the time where you want to optimize your nutrition and optimize your bioactive intake to support a healthy brain and healthy eyes and so on, you know? And I think um, what we're experiencing here is that there's this decline in antioxidant capacity with age that can be addressed with dietary antioxidants like astaxanthin. And it, it helps to 
uh, improve the overall health because, and you know, oxidative stress doesn't limit itself to a single part of the body. And so when you're able to address that systemically, you see systemic benefits uh, and helps you maintain your health. And so that's the main goal and the main role of uh, dietary supplements in general as a whole. Now, as for astaxanthin, it's a fat soluble nutrient. And so you need to prime your gut for its absorption. So if you want to get the most out of your astaxanthin supplement, especially if you're taking it as you know, a single tiny soft gel, that's not going to necessarily do a great job of priming your gut for absorption of fats, then you do want to take it together with a meal or within 30 minutes after eating a meal. And if that meal has some healthy fats in it, bonus, right? You're helping to tell your gut it's time to secrete that bile to help absorb more fats and you're going to get uh, probably more or higher levels of astaxanthin in your bloodstream. So this is what we've seen actually in, in studies as well when we've looked at absorption efficiency with and without a meal as well. How do you test through blood analysis or saliva, or how do you find out if you are getting enough astaxanthin in, in your diet? Oh, great question. Well, so uh, astaxanthin in particular, detecting that is complicated, but people have devised ways to look at carotenoid content in general. And so you can look at macular pigment density, and I'm sure Dr. Lang can tell you a little bit more about how that's done. And there's even just a speck through the skin that can uh, sort of measure color at a certain wavelength in your skin, because some carotenoids will uh, actually affect pigmentation in the skin. I've not seen astaxanthin do that, not in studies that I've looked at, uh, to be honest. And the reason it gives salmon and crustaceans the color that it does is because the meg per kilogram body weight dose is immense in those animals. And we just don't reach that those levels at 12 milligrams a day, which is the maximum dose for long-term supplementation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I am curious also, a lot of this stuff that's on the cutting edge shows up in professional sports, like in the Tour de France, which um, at the time of the recording, I believe was happening within the last week and mm -hmm. also in horse racing. I am curious, have you heard anything about astaxanthin in either of those domains? Well, I, get, I have to mention something here. It's interesting. You know, uh, one of my practices is in Ocala, Florida and, um, Ocala, Florida is really the horse capital. They're more Kentucky Derby winners coming out of Ocala than any place in the world. And uh, all these horse owners, horse farm owners are patients of mine. So 12, 13 years ago, when I was getting into this astaxanthin, I'm not going to mention the name, but he's deceased and was a baseball uh, club owner. Some of their trainers wanted astaxanthin for their racehorses. And, uh, and I thought, well, let me see if I can get it. But then uh, I heard through the grapevine that it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't legal for the horses to get it 10, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Uh, so I don't know about that. I mean, it improves muscle endurance and muscle recovery. We see in studies, seems like it would be a great additive and it's natural, but I, I don't know why they said it was, uh, it could have been a potential problem back 12 years ago. And I didn't That's surprising because if it, based on what Dr. Karen's saying, it's pretty hard to test for it. So if I know in a lot of sports, if you can't test for it, how can you show you're not taking it or having it? 
Well, so the way you would test for it is you would take a blood sample and then you would have to extract the astaxanthin and run it through what's called HPLC. So it would be a, like, you know, it's it's it requires specialized equipment. It's its own specific test. It's not that you can't test for it. Okay. It's, you just have to be pretty dedicated about detecting astaxanthin specifically versus some more simple ways that a person who goes to visit their eye doctor could check their carotenoid levels in the eye. Or some people are developing this like uh, very simple light that you hold up against a finger and it measures sort of total carotenoid levels. So there, there certainly are ways to test for astaxanthin specifically. And all of these studies that we're talking about that look at absorption have done this, right? Um, but in horses, there are studies done in horses, and astaxanthin is used in, her, in horses to support muscle recovery and performance. I've never heard of it being uh, illegal or anything like that. That's something that actually has been used in other parts of the world for many, many years, for over a decade. Um, and we have studies showing that it helps to reduce muscle damage markers in training performance horses over the course. You know, it's been tested, I believe, up to uh, two months or something like this. And it's made a, a statistically significant difference um, uh, whereas, you know, the placebo group had an increase in these muscle damage markers, the astaxanthin groups uh, saw no significant increase in muscle damage markers. So oh. there's real potential there, I think, in supporting horse performance. And another item is that, uh, you know, for workhorse draft horses and other types of horses or even, you know, pet uh, companion animals as they age and start to lose muscle mass. We do have studies in humans that show that astaxanthin potentiates the effects of functional strength and endurance training, which it's very difficult as we age to see more gains from strength and endurance training because of a number of reasons, you know, reduced blood flow to the muscle, not meeting the demand. Um, we also have an increased oxidative environment in the muscle, increased protein turnover, poor protein absorption um, from the diet as well. But it seems that astaxanthin helps to support or increase the effects of exercise based on the study from the University of Washington. And in animal studies, we also see that in sedentary animals, Basically, the, the hind limb has been immobilized, so they can't use the muscle, which sort of mimics being sedentary. What happens is if you don't use the muscle, the body starts to retract the capillaries that feed it. And with astaxanthin supplementation and these rodent models, it's slowed down the capillary regression from the immobilized muscle. So there's great potential for aging animals as well as they start to lose muscle mass and muscle quality as fat inf infiltrates muscle tissue. I think that's something that's uh, definitely worth looking at. And we do have studies in dogs and cats as well. Um, so not just it, not just for humans, but for your uh, for pet lovers too, and their pets. And there is also some evidence. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but with sarcopenia in as we age, which is muscle wasting, and that's the clientele that I see in the Langat Institute. My average age patient is 80 years old, and they're all developing sarcopenia. So everybody wants to slow down the degeneration of their muscle and their weakness. Everybody wants is looking for that magic bullet, which it's not out there. You know, it's, it's a culmination of everything we started the show on. But I think there are some studies now or, or a study that may be linking astaxanthin and tocotrienols or something like that uh, to sarcopenia. Yeah, so that University of Washington study was done on healthy individuals 65 plus, and that combined 
12 milligrams astral astaxanthin with tocotrienols, which is a specific form of vitamin E as well as zinc. It was 10 milligrams tocotrienol, six milligrams zinc. And the reason they use that specific form of vitamin E is because in another study, it was shown to actually physically interact with astaxanthin and have a synergistic effect on antioxidant capacity. So pretty interesting stuff. Uh, and, and you're right, that was a study trying to address, would there be potential for sarcopenia? And sarcopenia is something that affects not just humans, but I've seen studies where they've demonstrated this type of muscle loss related to age in dogs. And it's also been observed in horses as well. So something to think about. And perhaps uh, in some places, it may be used as a medical food, uh, actually. So basically, that means that under the supervision of a physician who would prescribe this medical food as part of a, like a long-term dietary management program to promote or support muscle mass and muscle quality over time as we age. It seems like my my wife was formerly a executive director of a nursing home, and it seems like it would be a great addition with the people that she was working with to know about this as an option. And like we talked about at the beginning of our conversation, I think it's no matter what your age, you should be doing resistance training of some kind. It shouldn't, I think a lot of the reason as we age this happens is because we just stop doing a lot of this and it, we should start there. And even if it's body weight or lightweights or start somewhere. And um, I know Dr. Lang loves strength training and potentially, I think I read somewhere, do you actually strength train every day? I just about, except when I, that, that small vacation I go on, I do, but I do a split routine. So Monday I'll do push, I'll do shoulders, chest, and triceps. Tuesday I'll do back and biceps. Wednesday I'll do legs and abs. And then Thursday I start it over again. And so uh, that way you hit both body parts, all your body parts twice a week, because you don't want to overtrain. Um, and now as I get older, I'm actually doing more reps with less time in between. When we were younger, you know, we used to do, you warm up with 12 and then you go to eight, six, and then four, and you're on the bench, you know, putting 315 pounds, trying to get it for, you know, two, three reps, but not anymore. I think I've learned, you know, number one, you don't want to have that much heavy weight as you get older, because it's not ideal for your joints, but less rest in between, uh, your workout goes much faster and you really get a better pump. I think you get more blood flow Instead of those, you know, some guys go to the gym and they're in there for four hours. And, you know, you could do that same workout in 25 minutes if you don't take any breaks in between. And so you have to throw some cardiovascular exercise in there. I, you know, I bike, I recumbent bike, I road bike, I mountain bike. You know, pedal power is, is uh, less traumatic to the joints, less impact. So, and you still get great, you know, um, um, cardio from that. And it's fun, you know, I, I broke my back, my neck and my right leg in five places, racing motocross. And so I'm starting to get some degenerative arthritis. So running is a thing of the past for me, but I can still swim, I can kayak and I can, I can still twist the throttle on a dirt bike and press the accelerator on a race car uh, and, and biking. So I think biking as we get older is an ideal exercise versus say running or walking, you know, power walking, walking fast. I see too many people out there, my patients, they say, oh, I walk five miles a day. And I say, well, that's great, but show me how you're walking. And so they're taking a little stroll through the park and their heart rate isn't going over 70, 75. 
And so I'd rather somebody do 20, 25 minutes getting their heart rate over 100 than five, you know, four hours of not getting your cardio, your heart rate up. So it's important to get our heart rate up to a certain extent, as long as we don't have heart problems and it's okay with, you know, your family physician or cardiologist. It's amazing how easy it is to go from zone one to zone two on a walk, which is really your fat burning zone. If you just do like 10 jumping jacks every couple blocks and you're going to go, whoa, why is this so hard? And it just takes your entire walk to another level. And that's one of my uh, fun activities. I like to do dips on random park benches or push-ups on the sidewalk. Um, I've been wanting to get a weighted vest occasionally, like put an extra 10, 15 pounds on your back and go take a walk to kind of make it a little more difficult or find a, um, a spot to go up an incline. Where I'm at, we don't have that at all, but a lot of places in the country, you can do that. Um, but there's a, there's a ton of resources out there to stay physically active. Um, one thing I've been really looking forward to asking about since we were arranging this call, up until recently when I started working from home, I really didn't spend a lot of time on a computer. I was working with people face-to-face and not behind a screen. And now I find myself on a screen for the majority of the day. And I, I can't really do my work without doing that. And I want to make sure that I'm still taking care of my eyes and that they're going to last me another, you know, 70 something years. I did the math. I'm going to live till 98 at least um, based on the actuary tables. So I've got to keep my eyes for another 60 something years. And I need you to tell me how to do that. (laughs) Well, the computer, the iPad, uh, even the television, but the closer it is to your face, ultimately the more damaging I think it is. And that's from the blue light. I mean, I'm seeing 45 to 50 year olds that have, you know, retinas that look like they're 85. Uh, they have these droops and they have early dry macular degeneration. And I ask, what's their job? Well, they're in front of a computer, you know, for the last 30 years. And so I preach this on my talk shows. I preach it to my patients that we need to do something to protect the eyes from the blue light. So a lens that has blue filtering properties like blue light shield or blue light defense or any of these lenses that you, when you buy your glasses, there you go. You're, I see you wearing something like that and make sure it has blue filtering properties. You can take a blue laser and see if it goes through it or not, but then consuming carotenoids or eating the foods like we started out in the show, uh, spinach and kale and goji berries and uh, orange bell peppers. These are high in lutein and zeaxanthin or taking a supplement similar to the Fortify Focus that I developed that has the astaxanthin, the lutein, and the zeaxanthin. So the lutein and zeaxanthin are carotenoids that act differently to astaxanthin. They actually go into the macula. They impregnate into the center of the retina called the macula, and they improve what we call or increase what we call macula pigment density. And we do have ways of measuring that. And we think, we're not 100% sure, but we think if we have a healthy macula pigment density, it can protect the macula against this harmful blue light, thus maybe decreasing the chance of us getting macula in a generation later in life. So the combination of wearing the blue filtering lenses and either, either eating organic kale and spinach and orange bell peppers and goji berries that have been cooked, not raw, because it's hard for a human to break down the cell wall of a green plant, a cow can, but it's hard for a human. So when you cook it, it breaks down the cell wall, releasing more of the bioavailability of the nutrients in it. 
I like kale a little better, better than spinach because I had one kidney stone in my life and I never want another one. Spinach is very high in oxalates. And so uh, kale is higher in lutein, but lower in oxalates. Now, if you cook the spinach, it does reduce the oxalates. And that's a whole another show talking about lectins and phytic acid and anti-nutrients that are in foods. But computer vision syndrome is, is very vogue right now. Everybody develops this if they're on the computer for more than an hour a day. And one of the reasons for this, it's also called digital eye strain, all right? Um, we have poor contrast on any digital app. We have a lot of glare coming off the screen uh, and we have a lot of reflections. This creates an enormous amount of eye strain, headaches, blurred vision, fluctuation in vision. That's why you can look on the computer for an hour and then you look out the distance and things are really blurry. You get locked in in that near point. That's a, called accommodative pseudomyopia. And so it also causes dry eyes. Sorry to interrupt, but I've been laying on the couch reading an e-reader for a couple of hours before. Look up and I can't even read the clock right. on the oven. It's, it's impossible. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is wrong. <laughs> and so we can help that by taking a break. It's called the 20-20-20 rule. For every 20 minutes on a computer, take a 20-second break. Look at something 20 feet away. All right. Make sure your optometrist or ophthalmologist has the accurate prescription you need to correct for your nearsightedness, your astigmatism, or your hyperopia, your farsightedness. Make sure you're not sitting too close to that computer. That creates more accommodative stress. Don't have your cell phone right up to your nose. Remember to blink more frequently because our eyes get very dry uh, when, we're, when we're working on the computer. We're concentrating, so our blink reflex is diminished. So it creates dry eye, which creates more business for me. And then again, you know, talking about supplements, the astaxanthin is important to help promote the system. That means reducing eye fatigue and eye strain and improving your focusing ability. Remember, I told you a minute ago, I'm 60 now, I can't believe it, and I still don't need reading glasses. And the only thing I did differently when I was 48, I needed plus one, 125 readers. I started taking the 12 milligrams of astereal astaxanthin, and it probably took about four months. I started noticing I was less dependent on it, but I can read 0.37 in print. That's better than 2020 without any glasses up close and I have 2020 vision in the distance. So it's not like I'm nearsighted. So I think eating the wild Alaskan salmon or taking a supplement with astaxanthin in it, a minimum of six milligrams is not a bad idea to promote overall wellness and a, a healthy accommodative system to combat against you know, computer vision syndrome. Are you following the 20-20-20 rule also? Do I do the 20-20-20 rule? Uh, I, I, I don't. I'm on the computer for hours at a time. I will take a little break and look out, stretch, but I don't do it for every every 20 minutes. I don't take it. Nobody, nobody's going to have a timer set for 20 minutes, interrupt your flow of creativity. But the reason it's the 20-20-20 rule is because it's at 20 feet that those muscles at the front of your eye that frame the lens to adjust dynamic focus. They're called ciliary muscles. At 20 feet is when they begin to contract. So anything closer than 20 feet, those are going to be contracting to round out the lens and adjust your focal point to a near point of vision. And uh -huh. so you can imagine that when you're looking at something on a screen, digital device, 
or a book or, you know, cross stitch, whatever it is that you're doing on a near, near uh, focal point. And when those eyes, uh, those muscles stay contracted for long periods of time, like any muscle, they're eventually going to get tired. And so that's where this eye strain comes from. And, you know, before, um, before this whole pandemic situation, I've seen numbers like between nine and 10 hours a day, people are averaging on digital devices. But during the pandemic, when people were staying home a lot and working from home, it went up to 13 hours a day. And, you know, I think a, a lot of people are going back to hybrid models and things like this, but we are spending more and more time in front of digital devices. And so when we're thinking about the effects on our eyes, it's more than just blue light. It's also, as Dr. Lang said, it's reduced blinking, more dry eye. It's spending uh, or exerting more strain on those ciliary muscles. And eye strain, if you think of, you know, we're all exposed to it, but some of the people that are probably most exposed to uh, digital devices are eSport players. And I read a study where um, they interviewed eSport athletes in 65 colleges across the U.S. and Canada. And their number one complaint in a subjective questionnaire was eye strain. So it's something that we really feel and we're exposed to. In the average American, it's something like 65% of Americans complain of eye strain. So it's uh, something that's experiential. And we've seen in a lot of these studies with astroelastoxanthin from subjective questionnaires that people are reporting feeling less eye strain and eye fatigue. So maybe you're not feeling the blue light filtration from lutein and zeo, but you can measure it. You can measure the macular pigment density. That's nice. And then you can feel the effect of the astaxanthin helping to support endurance and recovery in muscles overall, but also in these ciliary muscles at the front of the eye where really our eye strain uh, comes from. So those ciliary muscles, I know after I work out at the gym, while the muscles are still warm, I like to kind of hold different positions for 30 seconds or 45 seconds and stretch them out is looking 20 feet away the way to stretch that out and like let it relax? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. So by looking further than 20 feet, those muscles then relax and that flattens the lens out and allows you to adjust to a far point of focus and it helps to give them a break basically. So there, those mitochondria don't have to produce as much energy. Every time you're contracting, you know, or moving the muscle, you're demanding energy. And it's interesting because we, it's easy to think of muscles as being energy hungry. <clears throat> However, I read an amazing uh, fact about the photoreceptors in the back of the eye that register light, that in a single photoreceptor, just the ion channels consume a billion ATP per second. So really, how does that compare yeah. to like the muscles in your bicep? I've, that's a great question, but I think I mean, like, is it like more or equal or it, less or by weight? If you normalize by weight, the eyes are the most metabolically active tissue in the body. Wow. So when we're thinking mitochondrial support, the eyes are what are needing more of that than a lot of like even more than the brain. Uh, I think by weight, again, if you normalize by weight, yes. And so how concentrated in a tiny, tiny area, how much ATP you're consuming 
that's the the eyes take the cake. But of course, the brain is also very metabolically active. I just think it's really interesting because it's easy for us to think of neurons firing and the brain doing a lot of work and muscles doing a lot of work and needing a lot of energy. But not a lot of people think about the eyes and how much energy they need. Uh, you know, in terms of the brain too, membranes are made of very um, uh, sensitive lipids, especially the the polyunsaturated fatty acids, which are your healthy fats. 20% of the dry weight of the brain is made up of DHA, EPA, your omegas. And those are very sensitive to oxidative damage. So it's important to have a good antioxidant capacity to help protect those membranes. That makes sense why you see so many declines start in the eyes and the brains. If they're demanding so much more, and so when we don't have what we need, it's going to show up there first, possibly. Yeah, that and your eyes and your skin are exposed to free radical production from both sides. So both from physiological you know, byproducts of mitochondria and other sources as well in the body and from environmental exposures such as light pollution, you know, things like that as well that produce free radicals. So, Dr. Lang, how are you, how are you taking this information and this feedback and what you're seeing in your practice and creating products from it? Cuz I think that's what's really cool is you're seeing it and then you are actually able to make something consumers can benefit from right away. And how are you deciding what to do and what formulations have you made that are taking advantage of what we've talked about? Well, the last 30 years have been really a learning experience for me. I was one of the first doctors to do intracellular blood analysis, something called SpectraCell, years and years ago, uh, analyzing uh, the deficiencies that my patients had from a nutrient standpoint. I was one of the first to start doing DNA testing for our macular degeneration patients and omega index testing to see what their omega levels were. And so um, that's how I started the Fortify Vitamin Company because I did all these tests started 30 years ago and I found out the typical vitamins that patients were buying over the counter um, were not really absorbing and not changing uh, their blood chemistries in any way whatsoever. And I'm a big advocate of as natural as possible. We prescribe medications and we do surgery at the Lang Eye Institute, but I like to think that my patients, since I start with them 30 years ago, counseling them on diet, exercise, the proper supplements, you know, things to help from a preventative standpoint, as uh, Karen mentioned earlier, you got to initiate this earlier in the ballgame. And so once you're 95, you're not going to reverse the aging. But if we get somebody at, at 30, 40, 50, even 60, 70 years of age, I think we can slow down a lot of the degenerative stages if we support uh, their body with the right nutrients. God made a pretty good body as long as it's given the right fuel. So I've taken all of that, uh, that science. I was actually, uh, I did a pilot study called the Blaze Study about 17 years ago when we had our own blood labs in the Langenai Institute. And that stood for beta carotene, lutein, alpha carotene, um, zeaxanthin absorption study. And that was one of the studies that actually told me that beta carotene was probably blocking the absorption of lutein and zeaxanthin. And then they studied it further and, and they had proved that. So I took out beta carotene almost 17, 18 years ago. Any formula that had lutein and zeaxanthin in it really, in my opinion, shouldn't have had beta carotene. And now that's pretty mainstream nutritional science. 
So it's been a learning curve. I started Fortify Vitamins with one formula called Fortify Macular Defense for macular degeneration. The first formula I came out with, I thought was going to be perfect. I was obviously way off. And I'm on the 15th revision of it now. But we parlayed that into a whole body supplement company because I saw when we helped the uh, give the nutrients to the eye, when we were drawing their blood, we saw blood chemistries improving and the whole body improving. So we started developing omega-3s and digestive enzymes and probiotics and, and superfoods. And then we branched off into the fit industry now because I don't want to age as rapidly as everybody else. So we started developing whey proteins and we have a new product called Fortify Fit that utilizes the astaxanthin in it. And I've got so many of my patients on it trying to stop sarcopenia. But I'm blessed because I got patients that are, you know, six months old and patients that are 106. So um, are on our supplements now and are benefiting. So I can gauge what's going on. Uh, and my goal is to, to continuously research and develop, uh, you know, the best supplements that the body can have, all right? I always preach, you got to eat well, all right? But most of us are not going to eat 15 servings of organically grown fruits and vegetables a day and grass-fed bison and wild Alaskan salmon and do the things they're supposed to. And that's where the supplements come into play. Um, it's almost like an insurance policy. And there's more and more science and clinical studies proving that the right levels of these supplements in the right chemical structure, not to knock competitors, but many of the companies out there will put, you know, just window dressing amounts of supplements um, so they can put label claim and, you know, like say 0.25 milligrams of lutein. And they'll say on the front label with lutein. So the typical person says, wow, lutein, that's good for my retina. My doctor told me out, so they buy it. But as 0.25 milligrams, not enough to do much of anything. So I always teach patients and people read labels, learn to read labels and, and educate yourself what's going on in, in the supplement world. I love the evolution that Dr. Lang described of going from an eye health supplement product formulator to a whole body one, because eyes really are the window to your health. And in many ways, you know, people will look at blood flow in the back of the eye as an indicator of cardiovascular health as well. And that's an interesting one that we use as well. And the Astoreal, you know, literature, we have studies showing that astaxanthin improves blood flow in the back of the eye. And that's part of the body of work that supports the overall benefits of astral astaxanthin to cardiovascular health as well. So blood flow, capillary blood flow, peripheral blood flow, blood lipid profiles, uh, this is the kind of data that we're seeing as well. I love it. I also I just love when I hear people talk about the body as a whole instead of just individual pieces because we need the entire body to function well to have optimal health and there are some and and what helps one part of the body typically helps another part of the body. And so I feel like we're definitely going to have to have a part 2 of this conversation because I only have gone through like a quarter of the things that I wanted to chat with <laughs> with you guys. So we'll have to talk about maybe something in the future. But before we wrap up, I did want to give you a chance if there was something super imperative that we forgot to cover that we 
gotta make sure for sure i want to give you both a chance to let us know where we can find you and learn more about what you've got going on but was there anything we we meant we we forgot to bring up start today don't wait to have a problem you know be proactive instead of reactive prevention is the name of the game and uh you know we got to do all the things we started out in this program talking about you know uh if we make that body healthier the eyes are going to be healthier and vice versa. So a combination of, of everything we talked about, you know, like I said, be proactive, not reactive, take a preventative stance so that you can age gracefully and die, you know, happy at 105. Yeah. And I would say, do your homework on your dietary supplements. Are they coming from a brand? Is the product naming the brand? Because that helps you with transparency to understand in the case of astaxanthin, where the algae was grown, how it was made. Is it supported by clinical studies? Are there third-party certification to help to ensure the quality of the product that you're taking? And uh, one nice little trick that I like is that you can actually go to the Health Canada Natural Products uh, database and see if Health Canada has actually approved any health claims for this ingredient because they in Canada have a way of vetting and reviewing the scientific literature supporting various bioactives. And so if they have approved uh, a health claim over there and issued a natural product number to that ingredient, that's a good indicator that the science is something that has been um, marked as being of quality or meeting the standards of Health Canada. Oh, that's neat. If, if we look up astaxanthin on their website, what do we find? So on our website, on Astrolabe. On, on theirs, on the, the oh, Health on Canada. The, yeah, you will find um, approved natural product numbers for Astoreal Astaxanthin specifically because they're based on studies done with our material for antioxidant support, for eye fatigue and eye strain, for uh, muscle endurance, for skin health benefits. There's a number of different wordings for skin uh, hydration, elasticity, and smoothness. And now newly, uh, there's an approved uh, health claim for a, a marker of systemic inflammation, which is C-reactive protein. That's really, that one's really exciting because I know just from blood analysis and working with my physician, how how important that is and how it's under- uh, examined and how we have a lot of work there. So yeah. um, before we wrap up, uh, Karen, where can we learn more about Astoreal? One thing I will say, we do have another entire podcast about Astoreal. If you go to quandall.com slash Astoreal, we talked a lot about astaxanthin and Astoreal. But if someone's listening to this for the first time, where can they learn more about you and Astoreal? Sure. You can visit www.astorealusa.com or astaxanthin.net. Okay, great. And then Dr. Lang, um, what's, uh, what are you working on that you're excited about and where can we plug in with everything that you've got going on? Because I thought I was a busy guy, but when I was re reading your bio, I now I know how you get it done though. See, I get nine hours of sleep. I think I just need to start waking up after four hours and then I could be like you. <laughs> Right now, I'm working on a, believe it or not, a, a, a gamer supplement to help have gamers. Uh, and I'm also working on a, a plant-based plant -based protein that's going to be fermented and or sprouted to get rid of the anti-nutrients. That's a whole show in itself. 
but people can learn more about what we're doing if they go to the Fortify website. That's www.fortify.com. That's F-O-R-T-I-F-E-Y-E, fortify.com, or my personal website. Uh, you can go listen to some of my talk shows. I actually signed a deal with 50 more stations global uh, throughout the United States. So you can go to drmichaellang.com, drmichaellang.com, and Lang is L-A-N-G-E. And that gives you a synopsis of uh, everything I'm doing. Congratulations. That's a huge deal. Oh, yeah, it really is. Yeah. The Gamer Supplement, are you going to run that under a different brand name or is it going to be under the same brand? No, it's probably going to be under Fortify. I'm, I'm thinking of a different na a name, maybe something like Gamer Extreme or Gamer X or something like that. And it's basically going to be our Fortify Focus with the lutein, zeaxanthin, and astaxanthin. We're going to be adding some other neurotropics that we're working on right now. Now, I'm sorry to throw in a question at the end, but this is for my own curiosity. If I wanted to add astaxanthin in to what I'm already doing, can I add astaxanthin in just by itself into my existing protocol? I don't really need any other nutrients. I've done all the testing, but I'd really like to add this one nutrient. Can I do that? You want to get six milligrams of astereal astaxanthin, um, or if you developed, you know, Fortify Focus that I developed as the lutein, the zeaxanthin, and the astaxanthin in it. Um, you could do it with a combination or you could do it by itself. Okay. Yeah, you can find, actually, it's funny, you know, when astaxanthin first started out in the U.S., that's pretty much the only way you could find it is as a standalone soft gel. But as people start to learn more and more about astaxanthin and the different studies and particular dosages and how they're connected to different types of benefits, they're putting it together with formulations. And actually, Dr. Lang was really pioneering in this sense. He was really one of the first people in the U.S. to combine astaxanthin with lutein and zeaxanthin, uh, recognizing the potential and the complementary function of these carotenoids in the eye. And now you can find more products like that. But for a while, um, that you know, his was really the only game in town. So it was quite amazing how long that was the case. Uh, people are really uh, catching on uh, now. And yeah, but you can look at astaxanthin.net. If you scroll to the bottom of that page, there's a uh, view products here and there's various uh, examples of products containing astral astaxanthin. And many of them are standalone uh, products or standalone soft gels. Okay. Yeah. Well, that shows how ahead of the curve you are, Dr. Lang. What's something you're excited about right now that no one else is talking about? Just so I can, uh, you know, get into that right now. We have a heavy emphasis right now on uh, everybody wants to be in better shape. I don't know what the percentage is, but for me living in the down, deep south, New Orleans, Mississippi area, I mean, I think nine out of 10 people are obese. It's crazy. But the fitness arena, because it makes sense to me, if we lose body fat and we increase muscle mass and increase strength, that's only good for anybody at any age. Is that stopped for you too? Yeah. Okay. Um, that's a bummer. <laughs> oh, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. The future now is still a secret. I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that was so much fun. The time flew. I didn't even get close to getting everything I wanted to get, but you, you guys did a fantastic job. I know. Dr. Lang is so easy to talk to. <laughs> we'll have to save it for next time because the connection's so uh, shaky. I don't want to, I don't want to lose it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, guys. This was really fun. And, um, 
I hope we can help some people. I really love how you both more than one time talked about the importance of starting with the principles first before layering on supplements. Because I think it's it's not good how we're just trying to, you know, yo-yo between supplements to help ourselves and we're not taking care of the basics first. And I think it's really important. Thanks for listening to this episode of The James Quandall Show. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the next episode. Subscribing, leaving a review, and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show grow. See you next time.